0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the launch of our eighth SR Nadan Fellow, Ms. Corinna Lim's book, Gender Equality, The Time Has Come. We are grateful to everyone for taking the time to join us today and are delighted to have Minister for Home Affairs and Law, Mr. K. Shamugam, here as our guest of honour. Minister will deliver his remarks, followed by Ms. Corinna Lim. We will then launch the book. Following the launch, there will also be a book signing session with Corinna. But first, I would like to highlight a few housekeeping rules. We have no more than 50 people joining us physically here today. For those that are here, we ask that each of you keep your mask on and maintain a one meter safe distance from one another throughout the course of this event. Please also switch your mobile phones to silent mode. For other distinguished guests, friends of IPS and members of the public who could not join us in person here today, we have invited them to tune in online to our Facebook page, where we are live streaming this event. This live stream can also be watched after the event on our IPS Facebook page and our YouTube channel. Online purchase of Corinna's book is now available on World Scientific Publishing's website. For the entire month of December, all volumes of the IPS Nadan Lecture Series, including Corinna's book, can be purchased online with a 20% discount. Enter the promo code WSIPS20 for 20% off of your purchase. Now, without further ado, to kick off today's proceedings, Dr. Carol Soon, Senior Research Fellow and Head of Society and Culture at IPS, will deliver her welcome remarks. Carol, please.
1: Minister for Law and Home Affairs, K. Shamugam, our eighth SR Nathan Fellow, Ms. Corina Lim, and of course, Professor Danny Kwa, Dean of the Lee Kuan Yew School of Public Policy, distinguished guests as well as friends on Facebook. Good afternoon and welcome to the launch of Ms. Corina Lim's book titled Gender Equality, The Time Has Come. Now this is a collection of Corina's three IPS Nathan lectures and post-lecture discussions held during her term as SR Nathan Fellow early this year. Now, the S.R. Naden Fellowship was first announced in 2014 on IPS's 25th anniversary. It was established to pay tribute to former President S.R. Naden, whose long time contributions to Singapore extended well beyond his presidency. With generous support from individual and corporate donors, IPS raised around $5.9 million, including a matching government grant to endow the fellowship. As of today, we are happy to report that we have completed 10 IPS Northern Lecture Series, with our latest fellow being former UN Undersecretary-General and the new Special Envoy on Myanmar, Dr. Nolene Hazer. We have since published seven SR Northern Fellow books, Corina's being our latest. Looking forward, our 11th SR Northern Fellow is Mr Patrick Daniel, who is Director and Interim CEO of SPH Media. He is scheduled to begin his lectures in February 2022. Now, Corina has delivered a total of three lectures on the very important subject of gender equality in Singapore. She started with her observations on Singapore's progress since the 1960s when the Women's Charter was introduced and what Singapore should do to accelerate gender equality. In doing so, she tackled issues like paternity leave in the workplace, care infrastructure for the young and the elderly, and comprehensive sex education, all of which are relevant to the everyday Singaporean. More fundamentally, she helps us to question what it means to make gender equality a fundamental value in Singapore, one that impacts all segments of society. This call for reflection is especially timely amidst the National Gender Equality Review and has surely resonated with many. Corina, thank you for supporting our fellowship's goal in advancing public understanding and discussion of issues that are critical to our national interest. Thank you again.
0: Thank you, Carol. May I now invite our guest of honour, Mr. K. Shumugam, to deliver his remarks. Minister, please.
2: Prof. Tenequa, Dr. Carol Soon, Karina, our eighth SR Northern Fellow for IPS, distinguished guests, and uh, ladies and gentlemen. <clears throat> As you heard from Dr. Soon, this SR Northern Fellowship for the Study of Singapore was established in late 2012, really to advance research on public policy and governance issues. And uh, we have had 11 SR Northern Fellows, and 11th would be next year, and speaking on a variety of topics, politics and governance, economy and business, society and family, key topics, other key topics. And really, the lectures have helped push boundaries in thinking amongst both thought leaders and the wider public. Karina was appointed by IPS as its eighth IPS Fellow. She shared her views on Singapore, women's development in Singapore, and we will see her book later. She asked me if I could speak at the book launch, and I said, you know, sure, but I, is she sure that she wants me? Because there are points which she made which I disagree with, and I may say that, because I'm not exactly known as an unspiky person. So she said she was sure, and that was not an issue. So here I am, and I'm happy to be here, and it's a privilege to be here for this launch. Uh, The points made by Corina in her lectures, I told her, I agree with her on the fundamental aspirations, but I disagree with some of her suggestions. And that, in a way, is part of what these lectures seek to achieve, because we may not all be able to agree on some, or perhaps even many, of the points made by any particular IPS fellow. But through the lectures, we can have a robust discussion on these issues. And hopefully public discussion and policy making can benefit from such discussions. And if these discussions specific to Corina can lead to more equality for women or, you know, they, their position is advanced for men, we are better off as a country, I think. And as some of you know, Corina's lectures, uh, and she's not exactly an unspiky person herself, received a fair bit of attention and attracted uh, not an inconsiderable amount of controversy. That's fine, but I will add this. I think in society we can have different points of view. In fact, it will be a very odd society if we all agree on everything, on many things. But our disagreements can be expressed in a civil manner. And one can be civil yet be robust, clear, and direct. And I don't ever confuse the two. Uh, you can be robust, uh, as I'm usually accused of. You can be clear, you can be direct, and yet you can be civil. And, uh, and I think Corinna should not be shouted down just because she expresses a view on fairly touchy subjects which um, many consider unpalatable in society. And they disagree, they disagree. Yeah. Uh, with that, let me make a few points. I'll be brief because you really want to hear from her. I think people acknowledge uh, we have done fairly well in this area. Literacy rates, as we know, women aged 15 and above. If you look at it from 65 to 2020, it's now 96%. It's more, more than doubled. We are ranked 12th out of 162 countries and second in Asia for gender equality in the UN Human Development Report 2020. But beyond stats and rankings, what matters is also the lived reality of women uh, in Singapore. And so if you look at workplaces, preconceived notions, gender stereotypes, a man who is firm may be described as assertive, while a woman who is firm might be resented for being quote, unquote, bossy, and that leaves out some of the more frequent and less polite comments. Uh, And at home, women still take generally more of a heavier share of domestic responsibilities. And as Corinna said, government cannot change these things alone. It really requires a whole of society effort, families, companies, NGOs, community, everyone really. Laws and policies have to be accompanied by mindset shifts in schools and at homes. Our children have to be taught. The respect between boys and girls is fundamental. We have to encourage our children to pursue their aspirations based on their interests and strengths rather than outmoded gender stereotypes. And at the workplace, employers are now required to treat all job seekers and employees fairly based on merit the TAFAP guidelines provide for this. And PM announced at NDR earlier this year that the government is considering anti-discrimination legislation, which will obviously cover women. Our position should be, I mean, the legislation alone is not going to create equality, but our position should be to try and reduce workplace discrimination in every way that we can. Moving on to safety and protection of women, I think our scorecard is very good on that front. Our women generally feel safe in Singapore, even when they're out late at night. I've been very focused on that. And we have very tough laws and tough enforcement, and each year I go back to Parliament and say I'm making them even tougher. And our laws are regularly updated to cover evolving conduct, which is based on new technology. Family violence specialist centers are also being scaled up to provide counseling and intervention to victims of violence, including extrafamilial sexual violence. The Family Violence Task Force, which we set up, we pushed, co-chaired by uh, Sh- Ministers of State, uh, Sun Shui Ling and Faizal, Faizal from Home Affairs, released, released its report on the 23rd of September 2021, this year. I would urge people to look at that report carefully because it's a very comprehensive report which goes into how these things have got to be dealt with at the heartlands. I mean, a large, if you're well educated and you're able to take care of yourself, you're at one category, though don't mistake me. I am not one of those who believe that familial violence only takes place in certain socioeconomic sec- classes, so only some women are uh, impacted. It, It's across the entire spectrum, but how does it work in the heartlands? How do we help those women? I think if this report, if executed well, will make a significant difference to the landscape and the way victims of violence, including family violence, are assisted. I will now briefly touch on three areas from Karina's lectures, parental leave, second including gender equality in the constitution, and third national service for women. On parental leave, it is possible for the government to introduce legislation to equalize or increase parental leave that companies give. But when we have these conversations, I will also ask that we bear in mind that in the end, it's a private sector that provides most of the employment in Singapore, uh, like in most other countries. And there is a limit to what the government can ask the private sector to do. What we can ask is dependent on the nature of our economy so that when we compare with other countries, we need to see if the system is translatable to Singapore. The reality for us, given our small geographical size, is that foreign investments are a key part of our economic landscape, a driver of our economy. And companies which invest here need to be internationally competitive, because our internal economy is far too small. So business will factor in cost considerations in locating the HQs of facilities in Singapore. Let me give an example. A consultancy company called TMX Global released a report last month. It's titled uh, The Great Supply Chain Migration, Breaking Down the Cost of Business in Asia. According to the report, the monthly average cost of doing business in Singapore was the highest amongst countries in Southeast Asia and India. And it's about 64 to 76% higher on average compared to these other countries. So our wages are much higher, our rentals are much higher, and costs generally higher compared to these countries. And the compliance costs in Singapore, including environmental compliance, which we take very seriously, are much higher. And all of these are imposed on the private sector. Alternatively, of course, the government can pay for the parental leave. But that will ultimately have to be paid for by the taxpayer, which means we have to have a good economy to raise enough revenue to pay for everything that we want in the context of an aging society. And you know, we don't have any of the resources that one can extract from the ground to pay for these things, unlike, say some other Nordic countries. So the Nordic countries have the resources and their taxes are much higher. Personal income tax as well as GST are much, much higher. So for us, public spending has to come from economic growth. So do we have room to increase taxes? These are some of the challenges the government grapples with on a daily, perhaps not daily, but on a very regular basis. Whenever we deal with not just uh, one particular issue, on a variety of sectors, obviously we can spend more. And the question is, how do we get the money and make it sustainable? Whether it's healthcare, whether it's defense, whether it's security, costs are going up everywhere. Can we increase taxes from our 22% personal income tax? Our competition, obviously, is Hong Kong. We are at 22% and Hong Kong is at 15%. Some investors will be willing to pay a premium to set up in Singapore. But what is the delta? What is the premium people will be willing to pay? Uh, given that we don't have the hinterland that Hong Kong has. So these are the broader considerations one keeps in mind even as we look at what we can do and what we can impose on the private sector and what is it that we can pay through tax dollars. But despite the challenges, we have moved and we have introduced the tripartite standards to promote progressive workplace practices which, you know, flexible work arrangements, unpaid leave for unexpected care needs, and work-life harmony. But there, I think part of the real issue is uh, if it's all seen as uh, something that the women have to do, then we will constantly be facing this issue. It's got to be both sides of the equation in a family. Yeah. So February this year, MOM, NTUC, and SNEF, SNEF, formed the uh, Alliance for Action, or AFA, on work-life harmony. This Alliance for Action aims to build a community to promote the importance of work-life harmony and develop ground-up initiatives to support the implementation of work-life harmony measures. These are significant steps to encourage progressive workplace practices, because rather than being directive, we, we can encourage it. It's easier, and we will continue to do more. Secondly... Uh, another key topic that was touched on by Corina on uh, the Constitution and putting in an equality clause. I had raised this at a forum earlier this year and said I was supportive of it. And Corina made a similar suggestion for gender equality to be added to the Singapore Constitution. And let me f- be frank, there are two views on this. And mine is not a majority viewpoint, uh, whether in public or in uh, cabinet. Many take the view that since the Constitution already provides for equality, there is no need for a specific provision providing for equality between men and women, because today it already provides for equality. So do you break it down and say equality for men and women? Then you've got to have a list of 15 other things that you need to enumerate. And whoever is not in there will say we also want to be in there. And then it won't read like a Constitution. Uh, so discrimination based on gender, if it's not rational, is already unconstitutional. Because any distinction must have a rational nexus and satisfy Article 12. So, while, well, but I thought there was benefit in, in something aspirational, um, because it emphasizes it further. But I also recognize that uh, it doesn't, in legal terms, add much or anything to equal protu- protection. And I can see the force and the alternate points of view that many others take. But the key thing, key thing is that regardless of which view is taken, equal protection for women is already part of our constitution. Any discrimination which has got no rational basis but is on gender will not stand in our courts. And the government anyway, before we do any of our legislation, which is somewhat uh, different from many other places. Every piece of legislation is looked at beforehand, not just by my ministry, but also by AGC for its compliance with the constitution. Third, on national service, requiring women to serve on NS and extending the scope of NS beyond the military to include community, social, and healthcare services. This is an area where there are strong viewpoints and differences in opinions. I have to say quite directly that I don't agree with Corina on this. Uh, My own view is that uh, women who wish can join the SAF for the home team and we encourage women to join the home team. I put them up on my Facebook. Some of them carry rifles which are bigger than them but they are very very effective. and they can join the Volunteer Corps as well. And there are ample opportunities for volunteer work in the social sector. But you know, we can have these differences of viewpoint. We can't all have the same views on these issues. So to conclude, Karina has shared her views and sparked off discussions. There are continuing discussions and we thank her for that. And I would also like to thank everyone who has contributed time and energy to the cause of Singapore Women. This includes the many who shared their views during the recent conversations on Singapore women's development. The government is studying the ideas from the conversations carefully. Let us together make our fundamental values of equality and respect between men and women, the lived reality in Singapore. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Minister. May I now invite Ms. Karina Lim to deliver her remarks, please.
3: Good afternoon, everyone. Thank you all for coming today. It's really great to see everyone here. Minister Shamogam, Dr. Carol Soon, Professor Danny Kwa, Distinguished guests, dear friends and family, firstly, thank you, Min Shan, for your candid address, for supporting the need for diverse views, and for being here supporting this launch, even though we have different views, and as you have said, some fundamental differences on certain issues. I've always appreciated your direct honesty in our discussions, and your proactiveness as well on issues that we agree on. I'm also very pleased that three of my favorite feminist mentors and founding members of AWARE, Connie Soin, Vivian Wee, and Margie Thomas are here today. They have dedicated a good part of their lives in championing gender equality in Singapore. For me, this event marks the end of my SR Northern Fellowship journey It was a four-month journey where I poured my heart and soul into reflecting, researching, reading, writing, rewriting, and finally delivering the three lectures that make up this book, Gender Equality, The Time Has Come. Writing the lectures was a very intense experience, even though I had already put in my 10,000 hours on the topic of gender equality before the fellowship. There was still so much to learn, discover, and apply. IPS, thank you for the opportunity. The challenge to think deeply about what a gender equal Singapore would look like and what we need to do to get there. I hope that this book will be a helpful reference to policymakers, academics, and researchers, activists, and people who care about equality. Minister Shamugam, I am personally very pleased and honoured that you are here today. But more importantly, you are the reason why we are more hopeful today than 15 months ago that Singapore is on the right track to achieve gender equality. So it is extremely fitting that you are the guest of honour for this event. Your groundbreaking speech in September 2020 was remarkable. I think that years from now, we may well look back and say that this was the turning point where Singapore became a much more gender equal society. Let me quote a few lines from Min Shan's inspiring speech. Min Shan said, the idea of gender equality, should it not be imprinted deeply into our collective consciousness? The answer must be yes. Every boy and girl must grow up imbibing the value of gender equality. It has to be a deep mindset change. He went on to say equality must not just be formal, but substantive. It must take into account the unique challenges, needs that women face, and the specific effects that policies have on them to truly level the playing field. This very feminist speech launched the conversations on Singapore women's development, which I see as the government's first significant research project and campaign on gender equality. Nearly 6,000 people from all walks of life shared their views across 160 conversations on gender issues. The PAP Women's Wing, AWARE, SCWO, and many other groups all submitted papers with views and ideas on how we can achieve gender equality. And aside from these conversations, 2021 was designated as the year of celebrating SG women. The PAP launched an engaging campaign and pledge, hashtag ActionForHer, in September this year. And best of all, the government announced in September that it will introduce a workplace anti discrimination law to prohibit discrimination based on gender, race, religion, marital status, family responsibilities, disability, and age. Many of us in this room have fought for this law and are very happy to see progress on this front. So 2021 has been an unprecedented year of buzz and activity revolving around women's issues and equality. The government did a fantastic job in generating excitement and engagement on gender equality. I am very glad but not surprised to see the following themes emerge from the conversations. Number one, workplace equality. Number two, better caregiving support. Number three, protection from gender violence. Number four, support for vulnerable groups, including single mothers and low-income women. And lastly, countering gender stereotypes. These are areas that groups like AWARE and SCWO have been working on for some time. Many, many years. 36 years for AWARE where we have made some progress but where there is still a lot more work to be done. Through the conversations the people have spoken and I have no doubt that the government will expand its efforts to tackle these areas. One area that I hope will get more attention is the issue of men and masculinity. I'm not surprised that it did not emerge as one of the top five themes because the conversations were mostly attended by women. In my view from all my lectures. My exploration of masculinity norms in lecture three broke the most new ground, even as they were the most controversial. When we talk about gender equality, we usually focus on women, developing and empowering and training women, getting women to lean in, speak up, be assertive. All this is good, but we cannot fix inequalities in the workplace and family caregiving or eliminate gender violence and gender stereotypes if we do not involve men or work on masculinity norms. People reacted strongly to my reference to toxic masculinity norms. We can use other terms, alternative terms, which are less triggering, like harmful masculine norms or simply machismo. What is important is to recognize that there are unhealthy masculine norms, like negating one's emotions, like attitudes of entitlement to sex, and the desire for male dominance and control, which contribute to sexism, gender violence, and misogyny. And we cannot expect women to deal with these masculinity issues. Men are more inclined to listen to other men. So thankfully, we are seeing an increasing number of men who understand male privilege and how gender stereotypes hurt them more men are stepping forward to champion gender equality. It was heartening to see an all-male group called the Healthy Masculinity Project submit a paper to the Conversations on Singapore Women's Development, and in their paper, they shared their experience of negative masculinity norms and recommendations for dealing with this at a more systemic level. I hope that we will find ways to promote healthy masculinity norms, perhaps through schools, religious groups, sports, fatherhood groups, counseling and support groups for men. I expect and look forward to younger men taking the lead in this area. For future work in in addressing gender imbalances, I really hope that we move away from the language of women's development. Gender equality as opposed to women's development is a much more inclusive term that invites participation from women and men. The phrase women's development suggests that this is a women's issue or problem and not relevant to men. For starters, let's change the name Office of Women's Development to the Office of Gender Equality. I'm sure that everyone in this room is looking forward to the white paper which will set the roadmap for Singapore to achieve gender equality. This will be a long journey, and we won't see gender equality in our lifetime. But here is what I hope we will see in 2025. First, women's participation in cabinet at 25%, up from 15% by 2025. Second, women's participation on public listed corporate boards at 25%, Up from 18%. Third, paternity leave doubled from two weeks to four weeks with take-up rates above 70%. Fourth, flexible work arrangements including part-time work as a norm. And finally, that sex education in schools is realistic, relevant, and meets the needs of our youth. My final point is about government and NGO partnerships. As I shared in my first lecture, NGOs and activists have played an important role in furthering women's rights in Singapore. The first major achievement was the enactment of the Women's Charter 60 years ago. And as Executive Director of AWARE, I've had many positive experiences working with the government to improve the laws and processes related to workplace harassment and sexual assault. There's so much more we can do together. From research, for example, perhaps IPS can work with NGOs to carry out research on gender-related issues, to close consultation on laws like the forthcoming Anti-Discrimination Act, to collaborating on solutions to end violence against women or support low-income mothers. Groups like AWARE, SEWO, and its member organizations will continue to play their role in promoting gender equality in our work especially with communities. We have been doing this work for many years and have the support and trust of large constituencies that believe in this cause. The state has a lot more levers and powers to change behaviors and mindsets through laws, policies, role modeling, public education, and enforcement. We may not agree on everything, but we have a common cause. There is much to gain from working together and I sincerely hope that we will make this happen more. The diversity of perspectives can be challenging, but it is a strength if we can harness this. Mutual engagement and regular and honest communication are important to build trust. There's much more we can do together. Let's do it. Let's work together to bring about gender equality. Once again, a big thanks to IPS for trusting me to deliver the three SR Northern Lectures on gender equality, Janadas, Carol, Kaisen, Fiacre, and Eunice, thank you very much for your support. To Min Shan for his vision and leadership in making gender equality a fundamental value of Singapore. And to all my friends and family here for their support today and always. Thank you. Thank you,
0: Karina. Please remain on stage. Hmm. May I now invite Minister and Dr. Soon to the stage for the launch of the book, please. We will now launch the book. Corinna will now present Minister with a copy of a book. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and now, Dr. Soon will present Corinna with a token of appreciation from IPS. Thank you. Please stay on stage for a group photo together. Thank you all for attending today. We've come to the end of the book launch.